Hello, and you're in the cool room. Uh, you're listening into a very special cool room today. Uh, we are joined online by 20 odd people, not odd people, but around 20 people, uh, as we have our first ever virtual meet the brewers session with Joel from Venom Brewing. I'll introduce him properly in a second, uh, but a couple of little bits of housekeeping before we kick off. Uh, and please forgive us if A, the volume's a little bit strange on this one because we have so many people listening in on Zoom tonight or watching along with Zoom. And um, just because we've not done something like this before, it might be a little couple of little hiccups, but hopefully not. Um, tonight's designed to be a time for people to, uh, to drink Venom beers as we discuss them. If you have been a long-time participant in the Cool Room podcasts, you will have heard Joel previously on Series 2, Episode 5, uh, where he talks about the refreshing and the golden ale, amongst others. And um, if you haven't heard those and you want to hear about those beers in particular, um, we strongly suggest you go back into the Cool Room archives on your podcast ho host and find those. Uh, and so tonight we'll be talking about the Pale Ale, the uh, special collaboration with Catfish and the delicious Hazy Double Golden. And so we recommend that you have those beers beside you and ready to go. We're not necessarily encouraging you to drink all three, you know, during the half hour or three quarters of an hour of the discussion. Um, so feel free to have little tastes as you go. If you're listening to it as a podcast rather than live, you can... Um, press pause and finish, you know, one beer and then listen to the next bit. So um, be sensible in the way that you're drinking, I guess, is what I'm, what I'm saying there. And um, if, you, uh, if you haven't already liked us uh, on the social medias, on the Facebook and the Instagrams, please do so, uh, so that you can stay appraised of what we've coming, got coming up in the future. Aside from all of the other podcasts that we do, we have a special session with uh, Bonehead next Thursday night. We have La Serene coming on the week after that to talk both about their beers and some fantastic Tilken beers, which are rare and hard to get your hands on. And then the week after that, we've got Nomad. And um, just like we've done with Joel and Venom, there'll be a special slab to be delivered ahead of each of those podcasts so that you can listen into the brewer talking about the, uh, the beers that you get to taste. Um, two people to introduce uh, tonight. First of all, my co-host tonight, Warren Wu. Warren. Good evening, David. How are you? I'm good, mate. That's as long a spiel as I've done in a straight line for a long time. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a, yeah, there a lot of words there. Yeah. Felt like I had a touch of the Motley Crue drama there where I just picked up speed the more and more I went along, but that's, that's all right. Yeah, very good. Um, a big thank you to Warren for all of his work in making sure that slabs were delivered this week as well. So we're obviously in coronavirus lockdown time and it was uh, Warren's little car that got us around the suburbs of Melbourne yesterday to make sure that everyone had their tasty beers in front of them. So thank you, Warren. Yeah, and thank you, Car Next Door, for, for <laughs> helping out there too. And um, the other person that I have to introduce before I hand over to Warren to get things rolling is, of course, Joel from Venom. Welcome back into the cool room, my friend. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. You remember your own name as we found out as we were doing our little sound checks before, so that's yeah, that's a fantastic start. <laughs> um, before I hand over to Joel, do you want to share your social media links so that people can make sure that they hear every bit of news that comes out of both Venom and District, which we'll talk well, about. We made it really easy. It's just uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're just at Venom Beer. So uh, all one word, very simple. Outstanding. Well, Warren, I'm going to hand over to you, mate, while I shut the door, which I probably should have done before <laughs> pressing go on the podcast. <laughs> nice work. Nice work. Um, Joel, so everyone, if or everyone who's listening, they should have cracked the your pale ale, um, beautiful green can. Uh, there was, um, if if these weren't, if your label wasn't striking when it was bottled, it looks pretty pretty. Uh, everyone gets to a good look at that now. I think in the can, um, yeah, once again striking, really easily recognisable. It's definitely so translated nicely to a can. The artwork. Yeah, yeah, no, it's translated really well, I reckon. 
it's translated really well. So hopefully everyone's thrown uh, the venom parallel in a in a into a glass. And do you want to start? You want to kick us off um, with a little bit of background for this guy? It was his second beer, right? Second beer. So it came out in uh, 2016. Uh, after 12 months, of me telling everyone that I'd never make a pale ale, we uh, decided to make a pale ale. So um, second core range release, third release overall. We uh, we released the black IPA winter seasonal in between. Um, but I suppose we just went for a really nice, easy drinking yet yet slightly interesting pale. So. Um, we used a little bit of oats in it to really fatten the body out. We used some uh, some kiwi hops, which were fairly sort of new and experimental at the time, um, which uh, Brooklyn was what they were called. Then Mutare is what they changed the name to. I think uh, Brooklyn Brewery may have tried to sue them, but anyway. Um, yeah, and so, again, you get some sort of nice stone fruit flavours to it, but, I mean, at its heart, it's a really nice straight-up and down pale. Um, now, you mentioned... You mentioned you didn't want to do a pale. You weren't thinking about a pale. What what eventually turned you? What 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 was the what was the rationale behind? Oh, at the time everyone was drinking pale. Um, I think that was probably what put us off doing a pale to start with. Obviously, with the golden ale being our first beer, it hit a nice niche. Um, and I think you know everyone has a pale ale. Um, so I sort of went, well, I don't want to be like everyone. We we don't we're not going to do a pale ale. So, but it turned out that. Um, by about 2016, we felt we needed one in the range. And um, so we tried to, again, go a little bit different, a little bit uh, uh, of a different direction to everyone else. Not quite the big, bold American hoppy uh, pails that were sort of getting produced and probably slightly different too to the really light, simple Australian, you know, your Cooper-style pails or your light, simple Australian session pails. Uh, we've probably banged it right in the middle a little bit. And it's um, it's had degrees of success. It's had a... Probably hasn't taken off in the keg form uh, in the way I'd really like it to, but I mean, in packaged, it's a uh, it's a very very solid product that that goes really really well, sells really nicely for us. I was um I was mentioning to David before when I when I had a little taste of one, it, it there's a good balance to it. As I really love the fact that that um you know it it does have that hop character comes through. There's just a little nice level of fruitiness without being too over the top. It doesn't feel super, super new world. Um, mm. There's there you, there obviously is those more fruity hops in it, but but yeah, I think it sits really well. Bitterness is a light level without being like yeah, you know that punch in the face uh, bitterness. And the little secret to it is, we probably hoped for a little more fruit character and a little more of that stone fruit to come through. We did a. Uh, a trial batch early on and uh, I'm just on the little pilot, little 10 litre Browmeister. And uh, we got a really, really good punch out of the, uh, out, out of the Mutare hops, mm. um, which has never, ever, ever quite translated into um, commercial brewing, which has uh, been interesting for us. But, um, but again, we're really happy with the results in the end. Um, it would have been, if it had to come out the way we homebrewed, it probably would have gone a whole different direction. Um, but the way it's ended up where, you know, sales wise, it's been great. Um, people love it. It's a, it's, it's, it's probably in the category where we didn't expect it to, but it's, it's, it's really worked its way into a really good sessionable pale category. And, um, you know, I'm loath to change it at all now, or even try and recreate the original. It's, uh, it's working as it is and doing really well. So. Can I ask um, a little question about that? We were having a bit of a yarn before you came on about, the difference between brewing on a small system and then going up to a sort of a full brewery-sized system, is it predictable what the difference will be from one size to the other or is it always just a bit of a roll of the dice and see what Completely happens? a roll of the dice. <laughs> you, could, you, could have, you, know, you could have fooled me. You could have, you know... No, it's, um, there's a lot of maths and there's a lot of science and a lot of bullshit and a lot of guessing, to be honest. Um, I mean, what we did with our refreshing ale, we did it on the exact same system, the little 10-litre Browmeister, the, uh, the test batch, um, and it translated perfectly onto commercial scale. Um, oh. Pale, completely different. It's something I've never been able to work out, but um, you just sometimes got to roll the punches a little bit, I suppose. So, Especially when you've produced 8,000 litres of a beer and uh, you can't exactly dump it. 
<laughs> you mentioned on the on your previous visit to the Cool Room podcasts uh, podcast um, series so, two, episode five. Yep, series two, episode five. That um, there was a the 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 tr- kind of the issue with hops, like, and this is this is that was a really interesting comment you made about um. Uh, hops being being one of those factors which you don't really think about before you kick everything off. Um, with the pale, is that is yeah? What's the in terms of the pale? Is that something where you found the problem lies that the the hops are the thing that that you have that difficulty with? We basically when we produced the pale, we went for hops that were at the time readily available, um, new hops and hops that uh, you know people weren't currently using. And of course, everyone caught on to them, and um, yeah, we've we've probably interchanged two or three hops out of it already, probably multiple times with you know sort of substitutes and things. Yeah, definitely, it's uh, if someone sees something they like, um, and the hop, you know, the hop gets a bit of a run on, it's uh, can be very difficult to sort of get. I mean, um, I, I don't especially like. I mean, the hop industry is all run on uh, long-term contracts and long-term commitments, and if you're not producing to your commitments or not using your commitments you basically get made to pay for the hops that you don't use, um, which is something I don't like to do. You can, uh, you can buy hops in the spot market, which, again, is more risky, um, sometimes cheaper, sometimes more expensive, but uh, definitely more of a risk. But that's how we prefer to do it from the point of view, for, you know, for, for a lot of hops that we're not too sure um, what, what volumes we're going to use. And we definitely did that with the pale ale. Um, we sort of uh, just bought on the spot market and... Um, Got burnt slightly, but um, I think the hops that we've used as replacements along the way have been really, really good and really solid, and not really detracted. If anything, enhanced the flavour a little. So, um, just a question: I've, I was looking at the colour. Uh, it's for me, yeah. That that almost looks as I I can't remember the colour of your golden, but it almost looks as as golden as you as, as i'd consider a golden is there a is there a connection there is there... Oh, look, it's definitely a lot darker i mean the golden's very bright and vivid oh. um you know nearly straw colored whereas uh the pale's probably more so a a red or amber sort of color um yeah, yeah again we use a lot of oats a lot of sort of darker malts into it um but yeah it's it's, it's fair when you sort of pull them side by side they're fairly distinct um, I'm getting a few comments saying that there's a not that this is a nice balance that people are, uh, are thinking it's a, yeah that's uh, <laughs> which is always nice that's um, yeah it's it's yeah and I, I I'm I think so too I think it's yeah I think there's a nice bit there um, and and it almost feels like there's an element that that you could drink it like it's cold today in in, mm-hmm. in sunny old Melbourne and yeah this this beer you could you could sit on I think that wheat gives it a little bit more that you could sit on and be quite comfortable with yeah now a few of these on the cold it's definitely day. something you can sit down and drink a six pack of quite comfortably and um, one of the comments there was um not a huge tropical fruit punch and that's again that's what we went for i think that's uh tropical fruit punch has been overdone um especially at the time there was a lot of fruity session nails and a lot of fruity mm. pails and so it's uh, it was nice to get that end result where it wasn't a big sort of tropical fruit punch um it is a at its heart i mean if anything you compare it you don't like comparing beers to beers but i mean it's more down the cooper's route than say the um you know then say a beer an xpa route or a you yeah. know kaiju sort of for one of them kaiju crush exactly right so it's we went the complete opposite direction and i suppose we cover that base more so with the gold nail too so we, we mm-hmm. still cover both bases as a brewery but, um, yeah, the pale we wanted to, with the gold nail being so hop forward and so fun and exciting and fruity and tropical, we wanted to go the complete opposite direction. And that's where we ended up. Right. Do you reckon um, the, uh, have you sort of seen changes in the last few years about how, you know, Australians, Victorians are relating to pale ales? Do you think the... the every five minutes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of pale ale do you think we'll be drinking, you know? <laughs> Next summer. You want the honest truth? I don't think anyone's drinking pale ale at all at the moment. Mm-hmm. I think it's completely off the boil. We so, get a lot of that when we talk to non-brewers, you know, on the podcast. Mm-hmm. A lot of people say that, you know, pale ales are not what they're drinking now. No. I mean, look, and don't get me wrong, it's still standing up um, in our sales figures. So 
we supply a lot of supermarkets and a lot of guys, a lot of bottle marts and thirsty camels and guys that I suppose are, um, sell no more than entry level crafts. So I think those, you know, those venues, the entry level part of the market is still doing really, really well on pale ales and our pale ales still flying off the shelf there. Um, but I suppose when you sort of move up through the market to the more craft focused venues, I just don't think pales are really, yeah, not, not doing a lot at all to be perfectly honest. So. Yeah, it seems for me, and you you might be able you might be able to tell us from from your travel as a as you're wearing your rep hat. Um, and yeah, someone's just made, uh, one of our one of our audiences made a comment about the IPAs too. It feels like it's been the pale ale market's been split two ways: either IPA drinkers or or come more lager pilsner, um, kind of down that line. I, I know I know I've I've done the spectrum, and I think everyone relates when they start out with the big bold uh, imperial uh stouts and all sorts of big crazy things you go through the american parallel period and the ipas and then you kind of well for me i settled back into a more sessional thing mm. um does that feel like that's what's going on in the market that that parallel split between people who are hop crazy and people who are just want a good sessional clean I think the market's a little bit ADHD at the moment, to be honest. But um, so we, for everyone who hasn't sort of uh, seen what the, the side project we've been up to, or the or now with the virus, the main uh, main project we've been up to, we uh, we've opened a bottle shop with uh, our business partners uh, who do Coburg Brewing. Um, where is Dan? Not here, of course. He's not here. No, no. <laughs> anyway. No, um, but so we've had a really, really good insight the last three weeks on, you know, people's drinking habits and it's actually really staggered me. I mean, I've been in the industry now, the craft industry, nine years, the liquor industry since I was a kid. Um, and just seeing the shift, I mean, obviously, you know, seasonal releases and sours and neepers and et cetera, et cetera, huge imperials. Mm. I, I really, you know, still thought that they were predominantly at your big stores, your Carwins, your McCoppins, and had little drips and drabs, you know, outside the market there. But I mean, we, we opened a store in Pasco Vale, which um, has been a bit of a craft beer desert for a very, very long time. Um, and we've just uh, have been staggered by the, uh, the the styles of beer that have been selling there, the knowledge of people. People are really, really educated. They don't want to drink the same beer twice. Mix six packs are flying at the door. It's um, it, it's been incredible, and so I think the biggest mix of beers we've really had demand for in the last three weeks have been uh, New England IPAs and West Coast IPAs and sours. Um, wow. You know, in, in, if if you had it told me that uh, in April everyone'd still be smashing through sours, I'd uh, probably tell you a bit crazy. But um, it's been the case, and we've sort of had to double our range of sours, whereas I thought we'd be cutting them right back for cold weather, and um, we're still flying through them. So I think. People have gone to the extremes. I felt probably six months ago that the market was going to go backwards a bit and I felt that lager was going to be the next big thing. But um, mm -hmm. I think it's been a funny year and I don't think we can judge anything or any part of the market on uh, on what has happened in the last six months with um, you know having fires keeping us at home and um, viruses keeping us at home. I think, uh, I think we were on a trend to go back to that sessionable, clean, easy-drinking beer way of doing things and now i think everyone's sitting at home getting pissed on eight percent neighbors so why not yeah <laughs> hey well, warren you know those show notes where we said make sure we mention the district by the end of the podcast and you know that that'll be a bit later on yeah oh, just ignore that plug, bit of the show notes. <laughs> let's just leave that <laughs> <laughs> nice quick plug i like yeah, i'm pretty good at that we'll That's, come back to that don't worry yeah we will go back uh, and 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 the problem and the problem with joel is for our for our lovely listeners is Talk he's got me. so many hats <laughs> we could we could ask him to plug something and we'll be here for we'll probably be here days, <laughs> it is that whole thing that during lockdown you know everyone's supposed to be you know we were saying to our guest yesterday anna brennan who's a comedian from brisbane you know everyone's supposed to be writing a novel and everyone's supposed to be you know starting a new podcast and so forth and both travis and anna are ticking all those boxes and um You've started a new, you know, bottle shop. So you've done your coronavirus lockdown project. <laughs> yeah, it's been, uh, it's been full on. So um, yeah, I, I'm glad we've had it because I think I would have gone mad otherwise. But um, yes, yeah, it's been a bit um, crazy. So 
David's forgotten to uh, turn off, um, or maybe he hasn't forgotten to turn off screen share in our little Zoom. In our little Zoom. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, I can't remember exactly which episode Corey Boardman and Naomi Fennel were on, but we just got a close up of their dog's nose as a, you know, it's shared to the whole group. So if you join one of our future Meet the Brewers podcasts, you'll get to say things like that. What do you reckon we crack the uh, the catfish beer, folks? Yeah, let's do that. I think that's a good that's a good little um, yeah that's a good one to move on. I um, the novelty of black cans has not worn off for me at all. <laughs> I can't, I I can't get enough. Yeah, I hate silver cans. Hate them. Can't. Yeah. Them. I think they look awful. They're, they're, um, I suppose. We've we've kind of looked at them all our lives, so it's yeah. When it all comes down to it, it's it's good to see something, yeah, something a bit different. Yeah, well, I think I suppose well, we only started seeing the actual silver in the can in the last couple of years since people have been labelling them, and I've just always thought they looked cheap. So I was never an advocate for labelled cans, and then uh, I realised how good labels look on a black can, and oh, yeah. that's that's the way we've we've gone with all our seasonals now, and that's the way we'll continue to go, and. Um, yeah, it's uh, it, it looks more professional. It looks sharper. I I don't understand why, but silver looks cheap and black looks smart. So, yep, yep. I can see exactly why you think that. So yeah, give us a rundown on on uh, the catfish and uh, the springer. So the catfish. Um, so obviously the boys. Uh, I, I hopefully everyone knows the catfish bar in uh, in Fitzroy. Uh, well, we might have interstate listeners and others, you know, no, yeah. our large German contingent of listeners. Yeah, that's right. So I thought I'll, I'll, we'll do a bit of an explanation. It's a great little bar on uh, uh, Gertrude Street in Fitzroy, so right in the heart of town. Um, I've known the guys there so for a long, long time, actually. We, well, from our, the very start of Venom, we've, uh, they, they've looked after me and uh, put all our beers through, through on rotation. Um, they, they've got, I think, 12 rotating taps. Um, basically every year they collaborate with, I think it's six breweries for their birthday and they do six collaboration beers. Um, so this was one of them this year. We were lucky enough to get a Guernsey. And, um, so we, everyone else was doing big IPAs and sours and, you know, big beers. So I said, well, bugger it. We'll do something sessionable and we'll outsell everyone else. Um, and? So we, went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we went again, uh, down the, the Kiwi experimental route. Um, um, this we hop is called. I always forget what it's called because it's got a random number um, affixed to it. It hasn't even been officially named yet. Plutonium two thirty eight. Yeah, something like that. we'll call it that. that that's fine. I'll uh, I'll work it out in a second. Um, but it's meant to be a big punchy IPA hop. So I thought, well, why don't we do a really light summary XBA and we'll throw that in the top and we'll we'll punch people's nose off with the uh, you know the hops while having really light drinkability. So I suppose at its heart, it's the golden ale type, uh, you know, body with punchy kiwi hops. Again, I think, I'm not sure that the hop quite translated to where we thought it would. Um, it probably didn't come in as punchy and fruity as we had. A lot of fruit to it. Um, probably not as punchy as we thought, which uh, actually made for a really, really nice little session of XBA. It's funny that you said not, as punchy in terms of the hops, I've I've I happen to chuck I've happened to chuck my beer in a wine glass, and mm -hmm. that, yeah, the hops are the hops on this guy for some reason are just popping. It's it, yeah. Maybe but, I just drink it out the can too often. <laughs> Isn't a bad thing. I, uh, actually, now that you're saying it, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's pretty. It's really easy by the can. Like when, it's when just you're, really easy. Yeah. The aromas are there and the flavors are there. Um, but not the bitterness, which is great too. I think we kept it down to about 30 IBU, which is pretty similar to the Golden. Um, so, yeah, kept kept it light and not bitter and focused um, on the fruit and the dry hopping. And just going back to a point we were talking about before, uh, Oliver, one of the guys who has joined us, is interested to hear your comments about price point. Um, oh, I just read that a second ago, mm, yeah. The current, in the air, with the current environment. Yeah, I think so too. I think that's a cracker. Um, yeah, people less money to spend. How would that affect beers? Low ABV beers. It's it's all, yeah, it's, it's all on the table, I suppose. So I go again back to the bottle shop because this is what has formed my opinion in the last three weeks. 
um, it has actually staggered me by how much money people are willing to spend, albeit not how little. Um, it has really been, people have not been scared to spend 10, 12, 14, 15 bucks on a can of beer. Um, it's been, it was a one off. I thought I was trying to help, you know, it was, yeah, a- yeah, no, you yeah, yeah, you did all right too. Don't worry about that. But, uh, no, it's been, I mean, mixed six packs has sort of been our thing. I, we went, um, you know, we, we went really hard on price on six packs for us, uh, four and six packs for, for Venom, for Coburg, um, but also for Bolter, Hawkers, a few sort of staples. Um, we thought we'd be flying six packs of those beers and a few more off the shelves. And we also did really sharp case pricing as well on Coburg Lager Venom Pale, mainly because I've got about 400 tonnes of it in the warehouse. But uh, yeah. Tell us the prices. Tell us the prices. Opening special. Um, $55 a case, Coburg Lager and, and Venom Pale, so you can't Oof. go wrong with that. But, um, but again, I mean, look, they're selling really nicely, but then certainly not flying off the shelf the way I thought it would. It's, uh, it's incredible that people are still keeping their habits and still wanting to try new beers and, um, and, and willing to, to put the money up for it. So three weeks ago, I, I would have completely agreed with you and thought, yep, people are going to cut their budget to the point where I actually went out and I bought 10 cases of Cooper's Dry at a really, really cheap price. Uh, I've got them on at $45 a case and $15 a six-pack. I That's haven't good. sold That's one good. single can, not wow. one can, not one. That's so cool. um, I'm, I'm a little shocked. I'm certainly not arguing. I'm certainly not upset about it. <laughs> it's, um, it's been fantastic. And it's, it's great to see that people are still willing to drink well. Yeah. Um, I think, man, that's really, that, I find that quite fascinating. Um, Staggered me. The, the, well, <laughs> the only reason it doesn't surprise me is because I've kind of done the same thing. Whenever I've, I've walked into a, a bottle shop, instead of going well, Let's let's just grab a, a six pack of something that will be a good drinker. Oh, oh, we'll get something special. I think a lot of people out there are still thinking, well, they're not spending it out, so why not smash a few inside? And I think that's the thing. I mean, if you're going to go to a pub and spend twelve or fourteen dollars on a pint, you might as well spend twelve or fourteen dollars on a large format can. So yeah. it's the same thing. It's just you know you're either at home or you're at the pub. So yeah. I think that's what's kept it afloat, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I think the biggest concern for the industry is after the COVID period, when the government incentives go away, when people start going back to work. Um, I think that's where the concerns come in. I don't think anyone's going broke now. I don't think anyone is, you know, going to really lose out big time. I think the big struggles come after the period, but um, I'm hoping I'm proven wrong. I'm really hoping I'm proven wrong. Mm. Um, but it's definitely the concern of the industry at the moment is it, it's not so much what's happening now or what's happening while, you know, until sort of September, but it's more so shit. What happens if we get all together and we reopen, but no one goes out or no one, everyone pinches pennies and everyone is still scared to go out because of the virus. What, what happens then for, for on-premise? So, I mean, you know, it's, there's the potential there for the industry to be completely ruined, really. Yeah. So it's the scariest bit. And I mean, I'm sure, uh, sure David's uh, had, had the same thoughts and well aware of, uh, of that. So it's, yeah. I the think the bit that I find interesting out of that is that I probably sensed a bit of a turn away from those higher alcohol, more expensive beers almost during the Christmas period, Christmas and January and so forth. I'd agree with that. Yep. So if if you've asked me at that stage, what my impression of where the market was going was going to be was that it was going to be slightly lower AB, like say the refreshing and things like that, really punching it out this year. And then the economy has just done such weird things from there that, you know, everything I thought I knew, you know, a few months ago, yeah. probably not the Lone Ranger here in, you know, world economics, but it's just completely gone out the window. Yeah, I think if we hadn't uh, come together with Coburg Brewing and, uh, and formed our distribution company, uh, which we started in September last year, um, I mean, obviously, lager is their predominant product. Um, it's what they do best. They've got a cracking yeah. lager. I, I think before the end of uh, end of last year, if we hadn't have gone that route, I think we would have released a Venom Lager. I think we would have done yep. 4.2% Venom Lager. Um, really, the only reason I haven't is, again, we've got that in the portfolio now. Why have a competitor? So um, that's that, and that's probably freed me up too to, uh, to focus a bit more on the seasonal releases, which has been great too. 
but um, it's it's yeah, it's really been that train of thought. That's um, that that was really a train of thought as well at the time. That you know, lagers are going to be the way to go, and simple, easy drinking beers, and and hence again, I mean, the beer you're drinking right now, the the catfish uh, was a little bit of an experiment too to see how you know an XPA is. Uh, the fact that actually it's, it's it's great to say I haven't had one for a couple of weeks, but the fact that it's still drinking really well, I think it was brewed in October off the top of my head. So the fact that it's held up so nicely is uh, is fantastic too and probably shows the quality of the brewing process and the, uh, and the ingredients. So, Can you perhaps describe to people what would normally happen, you know, over the lifespan of a, of a beer? So, you know, how, how do you reckon this beer tastes different? to what it would have tasted like in those first couple of weeks or or when you thought it tasted, you know, absolutely cherry ripe? Basically, I suppose, I mean, I, the, the term for it is the hops drop off. So you lose a little bit of bitterness, but a lot of uh, the, the floral sort of flavours. Oh, I do find, I find a lot of imported stuff as well. A lot of, oh, basically for a long time, I stopped drinking American beers because I found that they weren't being stored properly and they were always old by the time I bought them. I, and I can't explain the flavour. You get a funny flavour out of them. They all had this back-end taste to them that's um, just... It, uh, I can explain it by saying it tastes like old hops, but, I mean, yeah, if you don't know... Like hop, hop, hops, yeah. sort of, it's, it's a very... Yeah, yeah, they taste stale. They taste... They taste stale, I suppose, is, is the only real way I can put it, but uh, without sitting back and digging my memory through a bit. But um, it's... Uh, it's definitely just a staleness and a, a flatness and a, it's uh, it's not vibrant. You're not getting great fruit characteristics out of it. Basically, if you read the can and it doesn't taste like it says it, it does, you check the date. Yep, that's a good call. That's I was always willing to be slightly forgiving of American beers that taste like they've been sitting, sitting around too long. It was the New Zealand ones that sometimes felt like they'd been sitting on a warehouse or at a dock somewhere for six months that I couldn't quite understand, you know, given that you know, they're our COVID brothers in arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Exactly right. So, um, it's, uh, yeah. Naomi's made a good point from our, from our listeners. Uh, yeah, yeah, imported. Like, yeah, imported hops versus, imported pills versus a local fresh lawn number. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah. Unfortunately, the big boys in this industry, where, you know, where we would be buying, you know, your imported pills, and that is just not set up for, um, for, for beers that aren't pasteurised or don't have preservatives. So, I mean, when you look at imported pilsners and things, and especially if you're buying at big chain stores, they've not been cold stored. They've not been looked after. They're probably a couple of months, more than a couple of months old. And, mm. um, and that's exactly right. They do that. They, they, they get that exact same flavor that, uh, that I find in those American beers, they get a staleness and, and a flatness. And it's, yeah. um, yeah, it's definitely a very good point. Um, Oh, as much as I'm, Smashing through the spring hour, we should probably move on to the hazy double gold now. Um, if everyone wants to, oh, yeah, nice. Um, yeah, if everyone wants to, um, yeah, just uh, I think, I think that's having a, having a quick look, a quick taste, and a quick sniff. It, it says exactly what it is on the, on the front of the can. Um, yeah, good haze about. Um, yeah, why don't you run us? Why don't you run us through this, Joel? Give us a give us the background. Obviously, Carlin Sellers was was involved. Well, basically, um, anyone has, hasn't been to Carlin Sellers, uh, you got Ben Carlin, um, the big fella, Big Ben. Um, we've got Little Ben, Ben Deval. So the two co-owners, um, ripping fellas. So Little Ben has been badgering me or had been badgering me for at least a couple of years to do a double golden double golden this double golden that every time i walk in the door double golden double golden and i hadn't done a outside of black ipa i hadn't sort of dabbled in the seasonal range too far or hadn't really looked into it too much and so anyway it's um got a bit much for me one day and it was double golden this and double golden that we should do a double golden i said well fuck it let's do it come on then let's rock and roll um, it wasn't too far after Justin uh, Corbett had moved from uh, Hawkers, where we brew our beer, over to Quiet Deeds to, uh, to head up the brewing over there. And um, so 
we wanted to do it in a tall boy can. We wanted to experiment. He was very uh, quickly establishing himself as the king of hazy beers. Um, at the time, it wasn't really something hawkers wanted to touch too much. It was it's uh, being a bigger scale system. It's uh, it's it somewhat had been a little more difficult to get uh, good results on hazies uh, on the uh, on the bigger system. I think they seem to have mastered it now with the last couple of releases, which were absolutely fantastic. But um, but Justin uh, took our recipe. We uh, basically what we did is we took the the original golden ale recipe. It's pretty well the same malt base. Um, as the gold nail, it's the same hop bill. So we bitter it with warrior hops. Uh, we got uh, Nelson Sorvin and Motueka. Um, so obviously, yet yeah, two kiwi hops, and we we amped it up to eight percent and we hazed it. We um, yeah used used a hazy New England yeast, and the result was spectacular. So uh, it was um, by a lot of by a lot of brewers sort of on the quiet rather than you know in public. It was pretty well last year. I think we released just before Good Beer Week, so in May last year, it was sort of la uh, lauded as one of the better hazies to have come out of the country at the time. So it was big pat on the back for Justin um, and, and the Deeds crew. Um, I took a little bit of credit, had to. Um, but uh, so, yeah, when we went again this year, we actually added in, because I suppose the game stepped up a little bit, we, uh, we we use a little bit of hop hash, which is still a bit experimental in this country. If anyone doesn't know what hop hash is, basically it's uh, it's the leftovers from uh, from the palletizing process. So all the bits and pieces that uh, they get spat out of the palletizers and fall on the floor, they scoop them all up and they turn them into bricks. Um, a bit like. Let me, can I interrupt there? Can I interrupt yep. there, Joel? Sorry. Good. No problem. Explain the pelletizing process to be people who probably don't even have their heads around that bit yet so that's probably a good point too yeah <laughs> so, so basically hops uh hops grow on on vines they grow up to what six to eight meters uh tall on vines um they come out looking like a little little tiny green pine cone um the hop plants actually uh very closely related to the marijuana plant um of all things um so in the way they get marijuana buds you get hop buds so hop buds get picked fresh nice and green they get dried and, uh dried and then they get palletized so if you think green shook pellets that's pretty much what hop pellets look like um so getting that process you get wastage the wastage is now being picked up and turned into bricks um hence it's called hop hash um still a bit experimental in this country people are just dipping their toe in the water i think guys in the states have really got uh down pat with it but what it really really does is uh when you use it uh in the back end of the the brewing process it just provides explosive amounts of flavors of uh depending on what you use obviously tropical flavors or fruit flavors or characteristics um less so of the bittering you don't really use in the bittering side so when you're brewing a beer you put your, your bittering hops really early in the process to so give that back end bitterness and then during fermentation, you add extra hops for, for flavour. Um, what does so it look like when you've got to clean it at the end of the day? Yeah, say again, sorry? What does it look like when you've got to clean it out at the end of the day if you've been using these bricks of hop hash? Goop, just goop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty horrible looking. But, um, but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting process and something, again, we're still experimenting with, but it really took this beer to the next level. It's, um, you know, it's probably taken only a little half step up, but it's... Uh, it's got that fruit level right up. It's got punchiness right up. Um, the bitterness still stays the same. It's still the same as the gold now. It's still a 30 IBU beer. Um, and that makes it really, really light and easy to drink as, as a New England style should be. I think mm. um, there's a lot of, uh, especially early on, there are a lot of New England styles that were far too bitter. Um, I think people have really got their head around it now, but it should be a really juicy non-bitter type beer it shouldn't it shouldn't be bitter it should be fruit juicy it should be thick it should be creamy um yeah a lot of people have asked in the last few weeks when there's any lactose added so lactose can be added to the process to increase the haziness but if you do that properly and use the right yeast there's no lactose in our beer um it's a bit of a cheats way of making the haze happen um I can see why it would work really well. Though I haven't, I've, I've, I've heard about it, but I, I haven't noticed if any of the beers, any of the hazies I've drank have used it. But I could totally see that because you look at, you look at um, how that, how your hazy looks, and it's, yeah, it's got a real cream. Yeah, that creaminess about it would be where, where I think well, 
uh, lactose will really work real well. Um, and ours probably is as thick as some. I mean, if you see if you see the really thick, nearly white-looking New England IPAs, you oh. probably tend to think, oh, they've they've used somewhat of lactose in it. But um, but yeah, not in this one. It's just great, and yeah, yeah. No, it's really tasty. I think it's got I think it's got a lot of character too. Um, I'm surprised that it's 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 like it's just the golden, but pretty much yeah. Pretty much a hazy double version of the golden. It's really surprising me. It's a bit of a homage, I suppose. We were just so thrilled with our original beer. We wanted to give it a bit of credit. And uh, the first you know, season that we did, we wanted to really give it a bit of a pump up. And uh, there are uh, very quietly, well, very quietly over at podcast, of course. So it can't be too quiet. But um, <laughs> It's okay. We won't put it out. Yeah. yeah no, don't tell anyone this. But uh, no, there's, there's a Your little bit. Your parents didn't listen to the last one about the bar fight. So don't worry about that. Oh geez, yeah, I've got stories with those too. But um, no, um, the um, the next sort of plan is to double up the black IPA at some point as well. So now uh, you're talking. Yeah, 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 <laughs> totally about it. So uh, yeah, we've got so we had all sorts of plans for COVID hit, and um, I, I think we're going to do eight or ten different seasonals this year, and uh, we'll get to them. We'll get there. Um, for, the, for those that are listening as a podcast rather than watching the Zoom, you've never seen a Zoom meeting sort of enter into a more united nodding of heads than the uh, <laughs> discussion about you know, doubling up on the black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a beast. <laughs> beast. Um, we're going to throw over to some of the questions from our Zoom fellow watchers in a moment, but a couple of quick questions if I can, if I can you know, ask those. First of all, IBU is a concept that means a lot to some people, particularly people who drink a lot of different beers. But if people have gone through the pack that we've delivered in terms of the refreshing, the golden, the pale, the catfish and the double golden, can you explain sort of what numbers you reckon those would be in IBU and what I, how important IBU is to your enjoyment of beer or how much notice people should take of that sort of concept? I suppose, yeah, I did. When it came out of my mouth, I wondered, you know, you always sort of, you talk a bit of beer talk and you wonder whether, you know, everyone's with it. But um, it's uh, IBUs are international bitterness units. Uh, it's a scale basically from, your palate can uh, can taste anything up to 100 IBU. So anything over 100 IBU, you're wasting hops. So there's a few uh, few beers that claim to be the biggest, highest IBU beers on the market or a thousand IBU and 500 IBU and it's just crap. It's just a waste of hops. So good luck to anyone that does that. So I think, I suppose if you think of the refreshing ale, it's around 10 IBU, 12 IBU, 15 off the top of my head, or a Carlton draft is say around a 10 to 12 IBU. Um, and it scales up from there. So it's, it, it all comes down to how much bittering hop you use and how much back, back end bitterness you taste in your palate. Um, Generally, I think West Coast and double IPAs and things like that are where you get the, the highest amount of, of yeah. fitness units. You you think something like a Hawker's West Coast IPA is about a 70 IBU. Um, and again, you, you, you go up from there with some of the big doubles and triples and things like that. So, uh, but so if anyone tells you their, uh, their beer's got more than 100 IBU, they're, uh, they're either full of shit or they're wasting hops. So I know... Um... I know, talking about the beer journey earlier, I know I went through a phase where you just you just go for the most bitter beer you can find and see if yeah. you can smash it in your face a bit. And then, for a while, you're going to hunt around and try to figure out what my beer means and just like go for all the big ones. So, and I could see where people, I could see where the marketing works in that, oh yeah, this has got a million IBUs. It was a trend for a while too. And I think yeah. with the AC craze, it's disappeared a bit, but... Uh, when we were all about West Coast IPAs two or three years ago, it was all about the IBU and who can get more IBUs and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. it's marketing crap as usual. So yeah. Anyone who's <laughs> taken our advice early on and sort of done this only by little tasting glasses will now be able to go back and pour themselves another tasting glass of each of the five beers and sort of do a comparison. I mean, I think mm. an IBU number by in isolation is sort of meaningless it's when you have that progression from one to the other to the other you start to get a 
a real impression of what the uh, the difference is between them in terms of yeah. that bitterness. The only problem with that theory is the majority of uh, Venom beers are pretty similar. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, Golden's about 30, Pale's about 30, Hazy's around the 30 mark. I think it might have been a little more on the Venomous Catfish and then you got refreshing around the 15. So it's... Uh, Was that a choice? Yeah, is that is that like you you prefer them that way so that's how they that's how they kind of come out just, or is... it makes them market accessible i think you're still you're making them i think pale might be a little bit might be 35 or 38 but i i, I think you're keeping it accessible for volume i mean at the end of the day we love making amazing beers and great beers and big bold beautiful wonderful beers but if you don't have your we call it the chicken palmer. You've, everyone's got to have a chicken palmer. Every pub's got to have a chicken palmer on its menu, and every every brewery's got to have its chicken palmers. And I suppose the the golden pale and refreshing around chicken palmers, they're the ones mm. that do the volume, pull the money through the door, so we can do fun, great, amazing stuff like hazy double gold nail and uh, honeycomb chocolate porter and uh, all the other fun stuff we uh, we've got up our sleeve in the next few months. So I suppose for that to that end. Um, they are sort of based, you know, in and around that 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 type of IBU for for volume drinking. Someone's written Moondog's gonna brew a chicken palmer, a chicken palmer now. Yeah, <laughs> they brewed everything else. Those boys would, yeah. <laughs> all the, yeah all well, the so if, if you've listened to series two, episode five, you'll hear about my chicken beer, which I legitimately <laughs> made. So. Jesus. Yeah, I think I'm, Oliver oh, might that's have right. Yeah, that it wasn't chickeny enough. Was it that wasn't the, chickeny was enough? That's exactly right. <laughs> now, to return to our show notes, which makes it sound like we have show notes, but let's just yeah, nod along with that bit yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's looking at his hand, written on his hand. Yeah. <laughs> district, you, you've chosen in these, uh, in these genuinely difficult times in which we live, um, which I'm sure you didn't anticipate, well, it wasn't difficult when I spent all the money. <laughs> tell, tell us the story. So if you've listened to that other episode we've referred to a few times, you've grown up out of a, uh, a family that's run pubs and bottle shops and things. You've been around the industry in genuinely in your entire life in a way that most people probably haven't. And you've chosen a new location, a new place and a new style of bottle shop. Can you can you just give us a bit of a spiel about that and and sell it because it's an awesome space. I've been there twice in the last couple of days to pick up all stock. The, how far back do we go? All the way. Oh no! Tell us about tell us well, just a, just a shop. Yep. Yeah, and and, well, and why why then people should go back and listen to series two episode five if they want to hear the backstory. Well, that's right. Yeah, that's true too. Um, we um, we used to live in Pasco Vale, so we knew the area really well. We moved into Pasco Vale, me and my wife, my now wife. Um, what are we going to be? Seven or eight years ago, I suppose, we moved into Pasco Vale um, and had a ball out there. I had a few other friends that were living out there. My, my The people I was sharehousing with uh, before then had uh, had all moved out to Pasco Vale and sort of uh, convinced me it was a good spot to go out and live. So. Uh, me and the lovely uh, moved out, uh, made the big move and lived there quite happily for three or four years uh, in a little two-bedroom townhouse and um, got to the uh, got married and uh, got the, uh, the little one along the way, the first little one along the way and uh, she got about uh, six months into her, our first pregnancy and we got the old eviction notice in the, uh, the letterbox. Um, the, uh, the landlord wanted to have vacant possession and sell his, uh, his little townhouse and we'd uh, went to look around and uh, we, we ended up making a move to Epping. We ended up buying out in Epping. But um, the whole time we're in Pasco, we loved the area, but hated the fact that there was nowhere to have a drink and there was nowhere to buy good booze. Um, and we'd actively for a couple of years while we were there been looking for a venue and had inspected a couple of venues in the area or a couple of shop fronts and never found the right place. Moved away and we, we'd always had our eye. I mean, again, we probably went in and inspected three or four other venues in the, uh, you know, the four preceding years after that. Um, and I'd given up a little bit on uh, on the area and moved on and um, started the, the, our bandwagon distribution business with Dan and Jane, excuse me, from Coburg Brewing. And uh, we're sitting out at the, uh, the post office hotel, which those guys have in Coburg, uh, one day having a beer. 
I got a text message from uh, one of my mates who's in Pasco Vale, still living in Pasco Vale, and uh, there's a Felice sign outside the old BWS. Um, and I went, oh, yeah, this is pretty funny, and showed Dan. He said, oh, yeah, send him an email, and I sent him an email, and next thing you know, we've got a bottle shop. That's yeah. <laughs> sort of happened that quick. It's uh, really, I think the best businesses in, uh, you know, when, when you go and do a business, uh, the, the best businesses are the ones that were easy. And I mean, by no means has it been easy, but it was an easy process to, to get into and get started and, and, and get done. Um, yeah, um, easy is a relative term, obviously. Uh, but it's uh, it's been fantastic. And uh, the area needs it. The area is screaming out for it. We've um, And again, I've still got a lot of friends there. I, I played cricket there, so I've got great contacts with the sporting clubs, you know, the footy club, the cricket club. Um, know a lot of people there. It's amazing how many people have come out of the woodwork that uh, that I've known for years and actually didn't realise that they're living in Pasco Vale or around Pasco Vale. The community there is amazing. So, yeah, we, we kind of fell into it a bit, to be perfectly honest. If um, I think we're going back to the start of the question. That's how we ended up there. It's, uh, it just kind of happened. <laughs> happened by design, but happens, yeah, in, in, in the ways that things just happen occasionally. And we're not trying to bog down on the difficulty of sort of, you know, life under the coronavirus lockdown and so forth. But, you know, it's also, you know... It's what we're doing. Yeah, that's right. And, the, you know, we try to keep this podcast as a bit of a document of the times in which we live, whether you're silly enough to buy a pub in West Melbourne or, you know, <laughs> smart enough to open up a bottle shop in Pasco Vale. Um, you know, how are you feeling about, you know, this time? And, you know, what do you reckon the market's going to do? And we're, I feel like uh, we're a little honeymoon period and I feel like we're probably, I, I think because we have opened up somewhere that hasn't traditionally had a lot of quality stuff, there's, a, there's, a, there's plenty of bottle shops around there, but they're all very same, same um, chains or bottle marts or, um, you know, very, very same, same. I think having that new type of venue, I think the demographics, right. I think uh, really it's, uh, you know, people that, Traditionally, would have lived in a Brunswick or a Coburg, would have been priced out and have moved out that suburb further. Um, you know, late twenties couples, uh, people with young kids or dogs, or people that like to drink good stuff, and they haven't had that option before. So, I think we're really hitting that niche of the market. Um, I think people have been screaming out there forever, and uh, hopefully, no one else opens and completes with us. To be perfectly honest. <laughs> Because I think that's that. I mean, that's that's where we've got the winner there. We've got a shop that's you know fairly. There's no competition around. It's uh, we're in a really great residential area. There's a lot of people around, and it's um, the last thing I would ever do is go and open another business on say Smith Street or Brunswick Street because there's just so much competition, so much potential for competition. But uh, yeah, having that uh, being a bit insulated out there and. Um, yeah, having a captive audience. The, the biggest, I think the best thing we did was really push hard to make sure we opened before Easter because we had a lot of people for four days just walking laps around the streets with nothing else to do other than exercise. And um, so that was probably our big win. But um, yeah, other than that, it's, uh, we're, again, we're a little insulated from it, I think. I don't think we're feeling the effects at the shop that a lot of other businesses are. Yeah, I think that... That was a long answer, sorry. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I have friends, I had a mate, I shared with him a photo, uh, which I've just shared with the group briefly then. Um, so yeah, of the, of that, that wall, that wine wall that you have. Uh, and he lives not far, just a good little walk. And he was there pretty much, um, pretty much within, I think, I think he dropped in that same afternoon or definitely within a couple of hours of when I, I, I left it. So if, out of all the places, um, I think Pasco Valley, yeah, you're right, has been, has been screaming out. There, there, there are the people, there is a feeling of the people there, um, at least for one, one good bottle shop. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we were um, probably beaten to the punch a little by the great beyond over in Coburg North. Uh, in Coburg or Coburg North? Anyway, he's on Bell Street. Um, which is an amazing store and does oh, great yeah, yeah. stuff. And he's a, he's a great fella as well. So we got slightly beaten at the punch, but I don't think, I think we've got enough. We're far enough away that we yeah. still have great drawing power and, uh, and we're not interfering with each other's sort of business. And uh, it's, uh, it's great. I think, you know, the area, the, the area is still 
crying out for stuff. And the Great Beyond's the one with the sign that says "Get booze here." Is that the one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Drove past that, but yeah, they, they. That's that's good. That's uh, that's clever. For me, um, the hardest thing about that shop is getting a car park. I mean, I'd love to drop in there more often, but you yeah. just find somewhere to park. So that's where we've been really lucky. The building we've got has traditionally been it's been a bottle shop for fifty years. So previous to us, it was a BWS for I think ten years. But before that, it was a really uh, an, an old-fashioned um, Australian bottle shop from you know I think the late sixties. It was it was built. Um, and it's got a big reputation. It's always been a bottle shop. Everyone remembers it being a bottle shop, and that also has been a big advantage over just a random shop front, I suppose. It so. absolutely looks like one of those old school drive up, drive, you know, drive through bottle shops. It's got that 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 feel to it. Um, where yeah, when when David and I drove past yesterday, yeah, we 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 both noted that. Um, Joss has a good question, but I've got. Uh, just out of interest, you, so you've got a first choice. Across, is there a first choice across the road? Yep. Yeah. Right. So, so that does that help or hinder? Is there? So you guys are obviously different, different range of products, but yeah. What, I, I don't that? know that it does either. To be perfectly honest, I think it's completely different clientele, and um, yeah, I, I don't think it has any real effect whatsoever. To be honest, it's. Uh, I mean, I think people have worked out pretty quickly if they want a cheap slab of VB or Carlton that we're probably not the spot for it because we buy one or two cases at a time and um, we don't have the buying power. But if you want a really nice bottle of wine and uh, you know, and some great beers, fresh, super fresh, then it's where the place to go. Um, Joss had a question. Uh, I'm just going to get him to unmute himself and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and shoot. Yeah, g'day, Joel. I uh, love your beers, mate. I'm just wondering what seasonal beers are coming up and what's the process in selecting the seasonal beers? Mm, geez. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a harder question you'd ever imagine. I mean, we basically had a seasonal program in place. We had seasonals booked in all the way till September. Um, we basically, with the COVID uh, situation, have cancelled the whole lot. So um, my next one was going to be uh honeycomb chalk porter we're going to bring that back we're going to try um we're actually going to at least on tap and we're going to try it in can we're going to do it on uh, nitro um yeah fantastic but um we'll get there one day but um from there what else is in the works there was a few others in the works we're going to do we still will do our uh, our viper pit collab with uh, quiet deeds that will definitely be back in the next couple of months um, that was a, a single hop Citra hazy double IPA. I'm not sure. There was a bit of debate whether we do the exact same beer again or whether we go a different single hop. Um, again, talks on hold, etc., etc., etc. But the biggest, I suppose, the biggest news I probably haven't told anyone was, which again is cancelled, which sucked, which I'll try and bring back in a force, but. Uh, we uh, we're, we Venom turns five in uh, in August, so we we're going to have a big fifth birthday celebration. We're going to release uh, going to release five new seasonals in five days, cool. and um, punch them all straight into the market uh, in August. And um, that was where the um, the double black IPA was going to come in, and uh, it's all on the all on the rocks at the moment, which uh, saddens me a lot. But um, so that probably would have given me, you know, four really fresh, brand new beers to, uh, you know, play with, experiment, and see with, see how they went. But um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. In terms of, in terms of COVID, you've mentioned a lot of things that you put on the back burner because of the situation. Um, what are there? Are there things? Is is it also giving you direction? Is it also giving you more things where you? you look not necessarily positively, but it's given you a direction that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of before. Nah, in no way, shape or form, not for the, with the brewing side of the business. No. Yeah. No, it's been very tough. Um, the, the only positive that's come out of the whole situation is we've had the time to actually get the bottle shop right. Um, from a brewery point of view, it's been disastrous. From a distribution point of view, it's been disastrous. 
we we just got our distribution company really where we wanted it, where we were starting to build, and 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 it was there was a flow on effect too. I mean, we just taken on, um, for example, Jamison Brewery from Northeast Victoria as a as a wholesale client, um, which we always thought uh, was going to be about an eighty twenty split kegs, eighty percent kegs, twenty percent packaged. So there goes eighty percent of their business as well. Um, they've just had new owners in the last six months. This fella's a ripping fella. Um, James, he might listen one day. Hey, James. Um, and, uh, yeah, the beers are just really, really on point at the moment. And it's just really sad to see them sitting in the, in the warehouse and it's a, an extra little thing that sits in the back of your head. But um, So, yeah, if no, from a brewing and distribution point of view, it's been awful. Um, on-premise probably accounts for 50 to 60% of what we do. Um, with, say, the Coburg range of beers, it's probably more 70 to 80%. Um, it's just been tough. It's been really tough. It's, um, but it is what it is. The only way to look at it is, you know, there'll, there'll be opportunities come at the back end of it and we move forward and off we go. Can so, I ask maybe, you know, a finishing but happy question if no other, no one else on Zoom's got another question to go. Um, you've, the time you've spent setting up the bottle shop in the way that you want to set it up, what are the sort of the two or three things that you reckon are important in terms of setting up the a bottle shop, but the one you've set up, which is as we've seen in the photos that we've shared on Zoom tonight, pretty awesome. Quality and product knowledge. It's it's about knowing what you sell, communicating effectively with your customers, um, yeah, and and getting great products in. It's just being able to or have at least 95% of the stuff on your shelf that you can go, yeah, I drink that, I enjoy that. Um, I've always been critical of bottle shops from a, a rep point of view, an arrogant rep point of view, that uh, go, you know, you drop samples off and you, they, they don't like your beers. So they, oh, I'm not stocking it because I don't like it. I've really tried to take away that attitude a little bit and make sure that if my customers are going to enjoy it, even if I don't we'll stock it, and as long as it sells, it goes well. So that's always been in the back of my head. But um, it, it's really, I mean, as long as the beers are quality and the wines and the spirits, as long as you, you know, and, and you can effectively communicate that to your customer or your opinion. And it's all about communication, as with everything in sales. I think people, uh, some people get the wrong idea with bottle shops. They can just open the doors, people walk in, buy booze and leave. And it's just, it's a road to nowhere. Um, you really need to know what you're talking about and you really need to stock quality. That's, um, yeah, that, hmm. that's definitely knowing your products and having faith in your products is the big, the big uh, driver of it. And obviously, if you've got the kind of hand that you have in the production of those products, you've um, you've won down the line ahead of most people. Yeah, well, I thought I was going to flog my own products a bit more through there, but uh, I've been pretty fair, to be honest. <laughs> you, you'll, you'll change that, don't worry. Yeah, we'll get there. No, no, it's been it's been good. And and again, but having been in the industry so long too, we've got a lot of mates. We've got a lot of people that look after us and we look after them and it's a lot of back and forth. So it's, uh, it's nice to have those relationships and have that investment in people. And I mean, we, we've got a gin in our portfolio. We've got Fossey's Gin from Mildura. And so we obviously push that really hard, but it's really conflicting as well a little bit with uh, my love for uh, my mate Michael who runs Mountain Distilling up in Macedon. So Mountain Gin, in my opinion, is probably the best in Victoria. Um, we sell his cans as well. and um, I think you got it into the Royal Mail on Spencer if we're starting to do plugs. I reckon I did too. I think, he, yeah, I think I did. He's a ripping bloke. And I make, uh, yeah, I make no commission off him. Don't worry about that. But uh, <laughs> Anyone else you need to plug before I start to wrap up? Who else do I need to plug? No, probably not. No, I think I've, uh, I've done a few. I've stuck a few in, haven't I? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all good. Talking about mates who look after each other, um, I sort of feel a bit guilty that we've asked you to do this this week um, because I didn't realise how much district was still in setup mode. So the amount of time you've devoted to getting ready for the podcast and devoting your Thursday night to hanging out with all of us, I think is much appreciated. There's um, no such thing as a quiet week in my life, it seems. So, uh, mate, it doesn't know. Um, I much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Um, why don't you give us one more time the socials for, the, for Venom and for District? 
Uh, so everything uh, Venom related, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is all Ask Venom Beer. District Bottle Store is uh, just as easy. So just Facebook and Instagram, we are Ask District Bottle Store. Uh, we are going to hopefully touch wood as long as I get my act together, go live with our online store for District Bottle Store next Monday. Uh, so www.districtbottle.store. Um, that will have free local delivery, Pasco Vale, Pasco Vale South, general area. Uh, we'll also post Australia-wide. Um, yeah, again, we're going to get the uh, as many great fresh beers in as possible. We'll have some great deals, especially, obviously, on the Venom and Coburg stuff. Um, hit us up. Give me a call. Find, find my number on uh, the Venom website if you uh, ever need anything at all. Hit us up. And uh, we'll make sure that all of those links are available on the show notes. So if you're uh, just listening and you can go back into the show notes on whatever podcast host you're listening to to make sure you get those. Warren Wu, again, a big thank you for all your efforts yesterday, but a thank you for today's work. Do you want to share any socials or anything while we're around? Uh, no. Um, <laughs> you don't want people following your personal Facebook or... Standing no, outside your house waiting no, for I don't you want to... people to suffer through that. That'd be terrible. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll plug someone else, though, given you know, he's a good mate of everyone. Uh, ben Knights is doing, um, is, is doing Zoom wine tastings. So if you want to do a really, really interesting wine tasting with a very knowledgeable but um, also very extremely good communicator, um, it's Ben... It's, Oh, hold on. I, I'm ben plugging. and wine. Ben and wine. That's it. Uh, I feel like I may have read some ads from him in the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so, so yeah. Um, like, yeah, I'll, I'll use my plugging time to plug someone else. You're a very good man in that regard. I'm going to be uh, far more upfront than that. And, uh, well, first of all, thank everyone else who's joined us live on Zoom tonight. Yeah, uh, new friends, old friends from Mr. Griffith's Days, old friends uh, from the Royal Mail days and old friends from Westside Beer Drinkers days amongst a whole lot of other places. Thank you for coming and being part of that. It's um, great to see a really well filled out Zoom screen tonight. Uh, we've said already that in the next few weeks, we're going to have some awesome guests on these Thursday night uh, drinking sessions that we're having and we're going to run out a special slab in advance of each of those so next week we have our friends from Bonehead the week after that we have La Serene who are going to be talking about both their beers and some really exciting Tilkin beers all that's going to be delivered to your home if you want to be part of it and the week after that is Nomad and so um, we highly encourage you to if you haven't already follow us on Facebook follow us on Instagram sign up to those events and indicate if you'd like to receive those slabs as the information comes out. What would make my life much simpler, to be perfectly honest, is if I can deliver you three slabs at once rather than one slab every week. But don't get me wrong, always happy to take that drive out to Thomastown and um, go to the, uh, go to the, the, court which is named after a animal which i don't think has ever existed in thomastown i'm not going to name names in case someone comes and knocks on hate's door tonight but you know there's never been a badger that's lived in thomastown <laughs> if there um thank you again folks we will conclude the formal taping of things at this point anyone who wants to stay on stay on the zoom uh chat just have a bit of a yarn is welcome to do so travis feel free to press stop when you're ready G'day everyone and welcome. Tony Shebecki from On The Turnbuckle here. We'd love you to join us and have a listen to our fantastic wrestling podcast. One of the best around actually. Been voted one of the best in Australia. So why not tune in and have a listen to us right here on The Turnbuckle. Hang on, hang on. What? Have you got everyone's name right? I'm Tony Shebecki. You're always always your fault. What about us? Brett Walsh. You are the worst. I'm gonna rec- I should be recording this ad, no, not mate, you. I'm, I'm sick and tired of this, Finny. Come out. Where I'm are out you of going? Here. I'm out of here. Now, come back. It's no, on the Turnbuckle Podcast. You can catch us on mypodcasthouse.com, I guess.